Thank you, Tim. Thank you for being here tonight. We appreciate so much your presence. We're grateful that you've chosen to come back. I know that we're missing a lot of people tonight. I don't really know why, but we are. But we're glad that you're here, and we're very grateful for the opportunity to be together tonight as Christians. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12. Actually, we're going to be looking at chapters 11 and 12 in our study together tonight. I want to begin by asking this question. Do you ever find it necessary to have a dose of encouragement? Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever become despondent in life? I think for the most part, we all face times of discouragement. And there are times that it seems as if we're plagued by a number of adversities or adverse circumstances, difficulties in life, and the tendency is to retreat. Sometimes tough times can cause us to hang our head. And sadly, there are occasions when we become filled with anxiety, doubt, despair, And the list could go on and on. When tough times come, I think one of the things that we need to remember, and I really believe the Hebrew writer, is encouraging those of us who belong to the family of God to keep our head high. Because tough times can bring you down. And so, to stay focused, to stay faithful, To keep our head held high no matter what happens in life. As the old saying goes, come what may, we're in this thing for the long haul. I want us tonight to look at chapters 11 and 12. And as we think about some of the struggles and difficulties and burdens that we face in life, and really this is, I guess you could say, the second part of our study today. First part this morning dealt with how to handle the burdens that we face in life. And tonight, we want to emphasize holding our head high. Because as you well know, tough times will come. They do come. And so, how do we react? How are we going to react in the face of adversity and trial and tribulation? What are we going to do when tough times come our way? And isn't it the case that tough times really have a lot to say about what we're made of, about who we are and whose we are? So I want to begin by, first of all, talking about some of the examples of saints who struggled in days gone by. And I want you to listen, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The writer said, Therefore... We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The writer here is reminding readers in the first century as well as readers in the 21st century to look backward and to reflect upon the triumphs and trials of some of God's greatest people in days gone by. In chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, typically we talk about 
the tremendous faith that these people demonstrated in their lives. And really, in many ways, it is a who's who of people of faith. And when you look at this great chapter, first you see their, their amazing triumphs, and then you see their trials in life. And you know, what that says to me is that life is often filled with triumphs and trials, good times and bad times, highs and lows, successes and failures. Really, in a sense, life is like a cycle, isn't it? It'd be wonderful if we could always ride that crest of triumph and conquest, but that's not possible because there are always dips and valleys in the road. So let's think about, for just a moment or two, those who triumphed in their faith. There are two things here. First, I think about the consecration of these saints and then the conquest of these saints. I said a minute ago that really, really Hebrews chapter 11 reads like a who's who of faith. And you go back and you read about people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and the list goes on and on. And you read about these people who were consecrated to God and their, their lives were filled with devotion to God. Their goal in life was ultimately to be pleasing to God. And so you see them walking in faith and obedience to God time and again. Their consecration, unquestioned. Their conquest. You go back and you look at all these great men and women of God and you think about some of their greatest triumphs and you can't help but be impressed. I think about Moses, for example, the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. Moses walked away from the court of Pharaoh to serve Almighty God. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than, as the Hebrew writer said, to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I think there were two reasons why Moses in the long ago demonstrated a life of faith. Number one, because he saw him who is invisible. That's what the text says. And number two, he looked to the reward. And you look at the life of Moses and you think about some of the, the things that he encountered. And yes, there were times when he was victorious as he led the children of God out of, out of Egyptian bondage. And as they crossed the Red Sea, I mean, what a conquest. And here is God's leader and God's lawgiver who rode that great wave of victory. So there were many, many triumphs in the lives of these people. But then you think about some of their trials. And I think two things here. First, the scope of their trials and the severity of their trials. These were some of God's finest, weren't they? And yet, in light of their relationship to God, their consecration to God, their conquest on behalf of God, you look at their lives and you see that even though they were the best of the best, they still faced tough times. And you think about the scope of their trials, and the Hebrew writer talks about that in verse 32 and following. 
and then the severity of their trials. These guys had it tough. So listen to what is said in verse 32. What more shall I say? For the time would tell, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, but they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. He said they were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Now, by way of context, you think about the writer in chapter 12, if we make the transition, he's saying, therefore, in light of these great people of God and the things that they experienced, their triumphs, their trials, their consecration, their conquest, the scope of their trials, the severity of their trials, here's what you need to do. You need to arm yourself with a persevering spirit. In other words, times are going to be tough. In the first century, persecution was rampant. God's people suffered severely time and again. As a matter of fact, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, that all who would live godly in Christ Jesus would suffer persecution. And so you think about the difficult times imposed upon Christians in the first century for their faith in God. And then add to that the trials and the burdens of just what we would call daily living. Sickness and disease. Financial reversals. And a host of other problems that, that people face in life. And so you see the need to keep your head up, stay focused, stay faithful. And so listen, if you would, to what the writer says. Because as you look at, at the writer on the long ago, and as he reminds us of those great examples in the past who struggled, there's an exhortation to saints today who struggle. And in the first century, the writer was encouraging those Christians to stay in the faith. So listen to what he says beginning in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. First he said what we need to do is lay aside weights that encumber there was a day and time when people used to, they would strap leg weights on and run and exercise, and the idea was that once you took those weights off, it would 
enhance your ability to run, to run faster and longer and stronger, etc. And the writer here is saying that as Christians, <coughs> excuse me, that as Christians, there are times in life when we have to lay aside certain weights that encumber us in life, one of which is the difficulties of life, the various difficulties that we face. I mentioned just a moment ago, chapter 11, verses 32 through 40, where the writer sets forth a series of trials and tribulations that saints in days gone by faced. But we could add to that any number of things that could fall under the heading of difficulties. And you think about some of the difficulties that you face in your life. Sometimes people face marital difficulties, don't they? Is it not the case that there are those of us who have problems with our children? Problems with our grandchildren? Is it not the case that sometimes we find ourselves on the wrong end of a corporation, we lose our job, we lose our financial security, and then add to that the probability of sickness and disease, the loss of income, becoming disabled. I mean, there's so many things that we face in life. Can these things undermine our faith? Yes, they can. They're called weights. And weights will drag you down. They'll weigh you down. And that's what the writer here is saying. Look, you've got to loosen yourself from these weights that will bring you down. So difficulties, and not just difficulties, but discouragement. Look, if you would, at chapter 12, verse 3. The writer said, Consider him who endured such hostility, speaking of Jesus, from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Ask the question a moment ago, do you ever get discouraged? Sure you do. Why? Because you're a human being. And you tell me, Tell me that you haven't met people in days gone by in the church that have struggled with discouragement and despondency and depression. When, thing, when things don't go our way, when life is turned upside down, is it not discouraging? When circumstances change overnight and life as we once knew it has ceased, is that not discouraging? Yes. I am convinced one of the greatest tools of the devil is discouragement. Because the devil knows if he can discourage you and beat you down enough, you know what you'll do? You'll quit. And the writer here is trying to offset that. Because the, easy, the easiest thing to do is just throw in the towel, wave the white flag and say, you know what, I've had enough, I'm, I'm done with this. The writer here is saying, look, you can't afford to do that. And yes, we all struggle, and yes, we all have our burdens, and we all have our crosses to bear. We've got to keep our head up. We can't hang our head, have a pity party, and just throw in the towel. That's not who we are. Because God said we can make it, and God wants us to make it. So you think about the writer here encouraging these saints in days gone by. And sometimes, you know what, we need a pep talk, don't we? I mean, don't you need someone in your corner sometimes encouraging you and pushing you and saying, I'm here with you, I'm here for you, I'll stand with you, I'll stand behind you, I'll stand beside you. 
I'll be your ally. Don't we need people like that? And then you think about the Lord. In Psalm 3, there's a great statement made by David. In Psalm 3, David is talking about, as hard as it is to believe, an adversary by the name of Absalom. Absalom was his own son, wasn't he? And David was facing some rough times. And there were some that did not think God would intervene on his behalf or that God would care for him. You know what David said in Psalm 3.3? He said, speaking of God, you are the one who lifts my head up. We need somebody like that, don't we? To know that God is the one who will lift us up, but also to know that there are also to know that there are people in the church that will help to encourage and lift us up. Didn't Paul say, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? So the writer said, lay aside. Lay aside those weights that encumber. And secondly, he said, lay aside ways that entangle. Listen to him. Let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know what? When tough times come, we can become the devil's prey. And by that, I mean if we're not careful, we walk away from the Lord. Or we find ourselves entangled in a life of sin. You know, in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus made a statement that I think is, if you look at it and you think about it and reflect upon it for a while, you get the significance of it. He said, those who serve sin are literally the bond servants of sin. The writer here is talking about the sin that entangles, ensnares people. And you talk about people who are slaves, they are imprisoned. They're entangled in a web of lies, all concocted by the devil. And sometimes when we lose sight of the Lord and we, we face tough times, we find ourselves caught up in a life unbecoming of a Christian. And so, if you look at the saints to whom the writer was addressing in the first century, he deals with their disobedience. And then he also speaks to their delinquency or their disregard for the Lord. You can go back and look at chapter 6. You can look at chapter 10. He talks about those who willfully sin. One of the dangers in the first century, the Christians to whom the writer was addressing this particular book, they were going back to Judaism. Some had already gone back, and the writer's saying, why would you want to go back to an inferior system? There is no other sacrifice for sin. Jesus is the one and only sin offering. He has sanctified forever those who belong to him. And so, disobedience was a problem. He talked about those who were deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, he asked the question, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Some were neglecting the greatness of God's salvation. Some were neglecting the ABCs of Christianity. 
And sometimes when we become discouraged and despondent, things don't go our way. When life is turned upside down, what happens? We lose sight of what we're supposed to be doing, don't we? Sometimes it's easy for us to fall into the trap of disobedience or a total disregard for the Lord and His ways and His will in our lives. And the writer is saying that as a child of God, look, we can't afford to allow that to happen. I mean, after all, Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the writer here is talking about those weights, those weights that beset us, bring us down, and those sins that entangle us. And so the writer is encouraging people of every generation. And as I said a moment ago, we all need encouragement. So first, lay aside Lay aside the weights that encumber and lay aside the ways that entangle. And then there's a third thing, and really this is the heart of what we're talking about. It has to do with enduring as saints who struggle. When I read this, when I read this chapter, chapter 12, chapter 11, I think about folks that are struggling. And you know what? There are times in life when we all struggle. I don't care how strong we are spiritually. I don't care how strong we are physically. We all struggle. We all face tough times. Why? Because we live in a world filled with tough times, right? So the writer here is, he's encouraging these saints to, as I said a moment ago, hold on and go on. Dig deep. Don't give up. And so, in light of that, listen to what he says. Go back and look at chapter 12, verse 1 again. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at verse 3. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Here's what the writer is saying. First and foremost, we need to keep our eyes on Christ. Focus on Christ. And there are two things that stand out in my mind as I read these verses. Number one, he's saying, look to the example of Jesus. Number two, he's saying that we ought to learn from the example of Jesus. Now, there are a couple of, there's one word that is used a couple of times here. Note, if you would, that word, endure. What did Jesus do? He endured the cross. Look at verse 3. He endured the hostility of sinners. The idea is he persevered. And look... Let me just be honest. You won't make it to heaven unless you have an enduring spirit, unless you persevere, unless you learn how to grit and grind and overcome. The world in which we live is tough. And there are folks that are in the church and they're facing some tough times. And some of you are facing tough times. The natural tendency, as I said a moment ago, to give up. 
The writer here is saying, as a child of God, we can't afford to give up. And so he tells us that we are to run with endurance, perseverance, the race that is set before us. We're in this thing for the long haul. Are there going to be setbacks? Yes, there will be. Are there going to be times when we feel like throwing in the towel? Yes. Will there be disappointments without question? Are there going to be times when we are disappointed in the lives of other people? Yes, sir. But you know what? We're equipped. We're built for the long haul. We're not going to give up. That's what the writer is saying. And he's saying if you want some incentive, if you want to be able to make it day in and day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, here's what you need to do. You need to keep your eyes on Jesus. You need to look to his example and you need to learn from his example. Do you think the cross, do you think the cross was a piece of cake? Because Jesus was the Son of God? Do you think that, do you not think that Jesus struggled with the cup that he would drink at Golgotha? I mean, think about that for a minute. I mean, go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is bowing in the presence of the Father. Peter, James, and John are in Gethsemane with him. And he is praying to the Father. And his prayer is, let this cup pass from me. Jesus, fully God, fully man. And he is struggling with the weight of the cross. The Hebrew writer, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications unto him that was able to save him from death. And the writer said, with strong crying and tears. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is praying to God the Father. If there is any other way that redemption can come to pass, then God let it happen. There was no other way. And the writer interestingly talks about the joy that was set before him. Don't you think that Jesus could could look beyond the cross and think about the redemptive plan of God being executed and what that would mean to the human family, past, present, future. To think that by His sacrificial death, His vicarious suffering and death, we would enjoy the blessings of salvation. He was, as the writer said, the author and finisher, perfecter of our faith. So the writer's saying, look, here's what you need to do. You need to keep your eyes on Jesus. And sometimes when, we, sometimes when life gets tough, push, get, push comes to shove, what happens? We take our eyes off Jesus. And that's when, again, we're the devil's prey. So first, keep your eyes on, on Christ. And then secondly, keep your eyes on the crown. As a child of God, now think about this for a minute. As a Christian, is it not the case that, that our hope is in heaven? I mean, isn't that right? Did Paul not say in Titus chapter 1 that we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began? Didn't Peter talk about in 1 Peter chapter 1 that living hope, the basis of the hope that we have, the resurrected Christ? And Peter is saying that as a child of God, we have a living hope. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of 1 Peter, Peter is writing to suffering saints. And he said, those who suffer commit their souls unto the faithful creator, that being God. 
So keep our eyes on the crown. Remember, our hope is in heaven, but then secondly, our home is in heaven. Our home is in heaven. We're on a journey right now, aren't we? We're headed to Canaan's land, so to speak. Wonder how many folks have taken their eyes off, off of Christ and the crown, gone back to the world, thrown in the towel, because of discouragement, become dismayed. Look, we all struggle. And sometimes I, look, I get it. Life is tough. And there are things that come, up, come at us like a freight train. And sometimes, you know, sometimes, sometimes, Tough, tough times lay ahead. But knowing that, and knowing that there is somebody in our corner and that there are better days ahead, that there's a better place ahead. It's called heaven. I mentioned Peter a moment ago. And Peter said in the long ago that we have an inheritance. He said, it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fades not away, it's reserved in heaven for you. I said, our hope is in heaven because our home is in heaven. That's why when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he could say, look, our citizenship, our commonwealth is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior. That's why when Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he could say, set your mind, set your affection on things above, not on things which are upon this earth. Look over in chapter 13, verse Look at chapter 13, verse 14, and listen to what the Hebrew writer said. We talk about our hope is in heaven, our home is in heaven, and here's what the writer said. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. The book of Hebrews was written, if it were to have been written prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, then those saints in the first century, they were facing some tough times. Warnings were rendered by the Lord on that, about that terrible ordeal in Matthew chapter 24. Judaism would be once and for all put down. But think about this. The writer said, we have here no continuing city. This world's not permanent. City of Jerusalem, not permanent. City of Olive Branch, not permanent. There is a place that will be permanent. It's called heaven. I want to encourage you tonight, if you're struggling, hang in there, don't give up. Endure, persevere, stay the course. As Churchill said one time, never, 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 never give up. As I said this morning, sometimes that's easier said than done, but hang in there. Better days are ahead.
If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. If you're here tonight and you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, you have a repent of your, repented of your sins or confessed His name and baptized into Christ, we urge you to do that tonight. If you'll do that, the Lord will wash away all your sins, Acts 22, 16. He'll put you in the church, and, you, and then you can be assured that He'll stand by, by you and with you until the very end. If you're here tonight, and for whatever reason, you're struggling, maybe you're struggling with sin in your life, whatever the case may be, you need the prayers of the church, won't you come as we stand and sing?